Thank you. This is really fun, Patrick. I'm coming to you all from sunny Davenport, Iowa, and I have been a film critic for 34 years. I'm on Rotten Tomatoes, if you're so inclined to visit that spot, which is a group of, it's a conglomerate of reviews by hundreds of film critics, and if you'd like to visit our WHBF website, the movie reviews are on there too, and they are on our, O-U-R, quadcities.com, ourquadcities.com. So I have done this criticism, if you will, since 1987. A lot of times people ask me what my first review was, and it was Creep Show 2, which is a, I believe, a trilogy. I don't remember it real well now. Horror anthology. This was so long ago that I remember sitting in the theater scribbling madly through the credits because when I began, I didn't recognize stars or the who, who played whom I didn't that didn't resonate with me as quickly as it does now but I also didn't have this incredible resource at my fingertips which of course is the internet I can look up quotes now I can clarify spellings of name and what a great resource that has become to all movie lovers in IMDB the internet movie database.com but before that I was forced to use magazines and pray that I could find a, a spelling in a library somewhere. It, it was very tedious. It took a lot of time. So I would scribble there in the dark and hope that I got those things right. And when the internet came, the movie reviews became much easier. All kinds of marketing efforts. I mean, you've got in the theater itself, in the lobby, when you're in for one movie, you see the other 10 movie posts. If the movie's a big financial investment, you might even see on TV advertisement. I assume when you started, that might not have been quite like it is now. There were trailers, and the trailers, oddly, come at the beginning of the movie. And the reason they're called trailers is because once upon a time, these ads for other films were shown at the end of a film. Movie's over... Here are the trailers, right? The things that bring bring it along. And the studios discovered that people were getting up and leaving. And they weren't watching the rest of their product offerings. So the trailers became attached to the beginning of the movie instead. And now you can, if you want to, sit through 20 minutes of trailers before a film. I choose not to do that. Usually 19 minutes in... And so I'm ready to go right when that studio logo comes on. Where do you see your trailers, if I might ask? Well, I do one of two things. I either grumble to myself that I am sitting there watching trailers, or I'm getting poked in the side by my wife because I'm sleeping. <laughs> so you go at the, at the announced time of a film and sit through the trailers. How many movies do you think the typical consumer sees in a year? That's hard to say. I think a lot of it depends on age. And now that we have so many streaming services, it's almost impossible to estimate for people who have grown up in front of screens. Binging, I should say, a television series in its entirety is not that big of a deal. So movies are part of that watching. Um, they're a different form of entertainment, of course. I know people who watch a movie at least once a week, but it might not be in the theater. Well, I always tell people this. What you like, and I'm going to guess that there's a certain kind of plot or topic that you enjoy, try something 
a little bit different. And I think it will open your eyes to what's out there. You may not like it as well as your standard fare, but you also may find something you enjoy more than you had imagined. For example, there's a film out right now called In the Heights, which is production, a musical, by writer of the hit Hamilton. People who don't normally like musicals enjoy this because of its depth, its characterization, and the incredible music in it. And that might open the door to other musicals for a viewer who historically isn't attracted to that sort of movie. Right. Well, you go to RottenTomatoes.com, which has everything, pretty much. And the reason it's called Rotten Tomatoes is because the, the, each review either has a round, ripe tomato on it, or a splat, a green splat. You know, like you'd throw tomatoes at the screen, you hated it so much. This is a, a compendium of all kinds of critics, professional critics from all walks of life. And you either get, it's kind of a thumbs up, thumbs down. You get a percentage. So if you, if this particular movie says 98% of the critics liked it, that's a resounding recommendation because all of us or almost all of us like this film. That's saying that we all agreed with all of our different tastes and all of our different ages, all of our different backgrounds, we think this is a great movie. So I would recommend visiting Rotten Tomatoes on a weekly basis to see what movies are out there and what percentage of critics like them. To the Rotten Tomatoes website, I can find movies that are just about to be released or just were? Yes. Same with IMDB, which is Internet movie database imdb.com that tells you what movies are coming out every week every month every year in fact you can find articles about the movies you can find critics reviews you can find viewer reviews which is a lot of fun the problem with viewer reviews is this most people want to like the movie they have just seen let's say that you love arnold schwarzenegger and you're going to go to all of his movies, you're going to say, oh, that's a great movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger was in it. Well, that's the only qualifier you need. Does that make you a perceptive critic? Not especially unless you're talking with other Schwarzenegger fans. So critics, I always look at viewer reviews with a somewhat jaundiced eye. It's also hard to say, you know what? I just spent $10 on junk. That's hard for people to say. It's even harder when they take their children. I, I hear this all the time. Well, my kid liked it. That doesn't mean it's a great movie. What kid doesn't like going to the movies? So I, I, I take those reviews, if you will, with a grain of salt. But seasoned moviegoers who all like the same movie, that makes me wonder what I'm going to see. Then I, I think there must be some quality to that. And this movie, In the Heights, that I just mentioned, has a very high rating on Rotten Tomatoes because it's a great film. And it's, it's almost impossible not to like this movie. So this is the kind of movie we're not used to seeing. 
There is no white protagonist, no white savior coming along. And I encourage people to do that all the time. I, I also hear a lot of this. Well, I thought, I thought you said that was a good movie, but it had violence and swearing in it. Well, I invite you and every single moviegoer to become acquainted with the rating system, which has been around for many, many, many years. And we must remember that the rating dictates the content. So, if you're watching a James Bond movie, a, a current James Bond movie, and you go in thinking you'll see some violence, that's true. You will. But James Bond movies, like Marvel superhero movies, are rated PG-13 generally. And there's a reason for that. It's because some of these movies appeal to older children. You don't want that movie to be rated R. For a mass, broad appeal, PG-13 is the one a lot of directors choose for their material. Now, they may release later on on Blu-ray a director's cut that's R-rated. It has a little more intensity to it. But most people feel comfortable taking older children to PG-13 movies. Now, I can't tell you over the years how many times I've had people come up to me to say, I don't want to go to this movie if it's rated R. Is it rated R? And I say yes or no. And then they say, good, I'm a PG-13 person. And they know their limits. They know that R is going to make them uncomfortable. So they stay away from them. There's a ratings board and they look at the movie and decide what it's going to be. And sometimes a director will cut a few seconds or a minute and off it goes from NC-17 down to R or from R down to PG-13. NC-17 can be the kiss of death for a movie. It is comparable, but not quite the same, as the old X rating. And I can count on the fingers of my hands how many NC-17 movies I've seen. There just aren't that many. To go beyond R takes a lot of sex, a lot of violence, and a lot of profanity. Yes, yes, the rest is, is sort of a, okay, we'll, we'll force this character into these situations there. Now you have character development. I think there is, particularly particularly with studio movies, a tendency to remake and give the audience what they wanted before. That's why indie movies from these small studios often are the movies I vote for in the Critics' Choice Awards, and I am a voting member of that group. Um, a lot of the indie films win us over because they are unique and they're labors of love, not created as a tentpole in part of a franchise to hold up a, a studio. Tentpole movies, you know, are the, the big films, uh, Fast and the Furious, for example. Those are tentpole movies, big, big action movies that have a wide appeal. But a movie like Pig with Nicolas Cage, it's, it's an astonishing film. Uh, it is not an action movie at all. It's a a character-driven movie on on grief and love, really. I've never seen anything like it, and so far it's my favorite movie of the year. I urge you to see it because it's a different kind of movie. Now, sometimes a movie is something like we've seen before, but it just doesn't get the studio backing. There's a movie called Twelve Mighty Orphans, 
that came out within the last month or two. And this film just blew me away. And the idea of it is based on a true story of a Masonic home during the Depression, where a new coach arrives to put together a football team and compete with other schools. The idea is these students, if you will, at this Masonic home have been abandoned by their parents. They're orphans. Uh, They don't know where their parents are. The parents are dead. And they are a, a rough, tough group of young men. The idea of this is so compelling, but what really brought it over the top to me was a montage at the end in which you find out what these characters achieved in their lives, these young men. And it's so beautiful. It's a testament to the human spirit. It's a testament to football. It's a testament to how we can overcome incredible odds. And that movie should have been a huge hit, like like Seabiscuit and some of the other true-to-life tales. Now it's streaming online, so I can't urge people enough to see this film. Robert Duvall is in it, Martin Sheen, Luke Wilson, great ensemble cast. Probably closer to 250. I see three to five every week, not always on the big screen, but I do see everything that opens on the big screen. I try to keep up with Disney+, Plus. Amazon Prime, Prime Video, and HBO Max. Oh, and Netflix, of course, too. Each of these screening services now, think about this, how this has changed. Netflix has its own studios. Amazon, its own studios. Apple TV. And so the fragmentation of movie watching begins. One of these days there will be more people streaming movies than there are in the theaters. I don't think that has happened, but I do predict that may be the case at some point. So indie films, have a, they might be shown on the Sundance channel. They might be shown in limited release. Pig is an independent film. It is not a concoction that's part of a franchise or that's part of a marketing tool for toys or, uh, for example, G.I. Joe, you may remember those, those action figures. They're Hasbro toy. They're still around. And these toys have begotten a series of films, action hero films. The latest is called Snake Eyes. That's a big studio, multi-million dollar production. Lots of marketing behind it. Uh, Lots of fingers in that pie. Uh, Thinking about overseas. How will this movie do overseas? How will this movie do in the U.S.? What elements do we put in this movie to engage those audiences? Pig was made because it's a good story. Those movies, generally, the the indie movies, become the darlings of critics because they're unique. That voice is unique. Nothing else is driving it but the director and the screenwriter. People, this is sort of a nickname, 
for them, it's an endearing tone, that Bollywood films, B-O-L-L-Y-W-O-O-D. But they, they have their own following, and um, they too, oh, they have huge stars, uh, glorious colors, and they make some wonderful musicals. But most movies I see are not foreign. I do see some, but most of them are, are not foreign films. I think they stream them a lot. I am very much manipulated by the music, um, particularly heavily orchestrated films with a, with a vastness to them, uh, epic in the old sense of the word epic. For example, I don't know that it would be Star Wars without the John Williams score. Not to me, it wouldn't. His score makes every moment of that movie more alive to me. I love his compositions. And likewise, but there, a, a recent movie I saw, I really liked the score. It, it, I'll give you an example. This movie is, I don't know, three or four years old. It was Godzilla, King of the Monsters. You know, yet another Godzilla movie, right? But the movie is well written, and the character development is there. The monsters are just gloriously huge. Also, I bought the score for this. Beautiful, beautiful composition. I believe it's Bear McCreary. I believe it's his score. What he did was so brilliant. He hired Japanese monks to chant throughout this score. And it is utterly spellbinding. Beautiful score. So I do hear those things. And they matter to me. The Critics' Choice Awards, and those are every January. I was invited to this group when it was first formed. This is Joey Berlin's brainchild. Um, Joey's out in California. And his idea was to form a group of critics who would celebrate this art, um, serve on boards, vote weekly on these movies that we so love or hate. And once a year, there was a luncheon. So this started out very small. I remember flying out to my first luncheon. I'd never been in, you know, Santa Monica before. It was unthinkable for me to be there. And I walked in the door and there stood John Williams and John Travolta in front of me. And I was so stunned because I had never been around celebrity like that. As this event began to transition, it became an evening event. And then finally, it became televised live. And I am so proud to be part of that and to be on hand when this happens. It's, it's been an incredible journey to watch the stars honored by people like me with, with our votes. It's, much, it's similar to the Oscars and the Golden Globes, but it's held before either of those. So we have become a kind of bellwether for the Oscars. I've met George Clooney, Spielberg, some, some people who are just uh, Bob Odenkirk, who was very nice guy. He's the star of a, a film series called Better Call Saul. And then this summer, he's been in an action movie and really played against type and a really solid actioner. I didn't expect that, but boy, was I surprised and pleased when I saw that. And, and you learn sort of how to navigate those celebrity waters because there are hundreds of people in this huge auditorium 
and it's a very different kind of gathering. There's nothing else quite like it except, I suppose, the Oscars, the Emmys, those kinds of conventional gatherings. But during the year of fourth, A Star is Born, you may or may not know that movie has been made four times with different actors, different... But each one of these films is a good film. Lady Gaga was a star, and Bradley Cooper, of the latest one. I liked it a lot. And I happened to have a seat that was so good that night that she had to walk past me to get her award. I was sitting that close to the stage. That was fun. You know, it's funny. I, I am asked all the time, how do I know what's playing And there's something that keeps people from calling the theater. There's even, when you call a theater, you will get a list of times in movies on your phone. How easy is that? It's very easy to find out, to to keep yourself informed. As you say, homework. But I don't know that it's homework. I don't think, I mean, you go to the grocery store and you at least have some idea of what you're going to buy, right? And some people make lists. I make a list so that I know I have what I want. Well, you can do that as a movie consumer. And think of the thousands of dollars some people spend on movies. And now we're talking about what kind of app might you like. Because apps, I believe, are slowly replacing a cable TV. I really do. I think that's the next generation's television. Also, I want to throw this out here. There are movies on YouTube, youtube youtube.com, which is another app. And kids are watching YouTube channels now. They're watching YouTube channels, the things they love. They're finding them on the Internet and watching them. So what does that mean for TV as we know it? I don't know. But I, I think... We need to be, we need to educate ourselves. What are we really after? What do we want? I would say a great majority of people say, I just want to be entertained. I want a popcorn movie. Something I can sit back, have my snacks and forget about the pandemic and forget about, you know, work. And, and I get that too. There's a movie out right now called Roadrunner. It's a documentary about Anthony Bourdain, who, the late Anthony Bourdain, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he was a a well-known chef who took his own life. And this movie, although it was not particularly fond of Bourdain, made me a fan because it made me realize how tormented he was and the loss that he left with, with the people who loved him so much. Made me think. I'd love that. Patrick, this has been an utter and complete pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs>